Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for that time of worship. God, I thank you that we can connect with you. God, that we can be strengthened, that we can be encouraged, that we can be filled by just being in your throne room. Lord, as I bring what you've impressed on my heart, God, may I be able to do it the way that you've intended it, Father. I just ask this morning that you help me to get out of the way, that your kingdom may come, that your will be done this morning. Lord, I pray in this time that you would strengthen us as a people, encourage us to stand where you're asking us to stand, to be who you're asking us to be. Lord, we trust you. And Holy Spirit, I pray this morning, if there's anything that I say that's not of you, may it fall away. But God, the things that you want to say this morning, may they take root in our heart and may they grow to see your kingdom come, to see your will done. Amen. Before I begin this morning on uh, the sermon that I believe God's put on my heart, which I've entitled uh, Salty Light Bulbs, which I thought was fantastic as I was writing it. You kind of sit back and you're like, "Woo, that's a good one. I just want to, I want to make clear something that I've wrestled with in my heart as to to whether or not I, I address something in this or into which way we continue to lean in God to walk where he's asked us to walk and to step where he's asked us to step. But I couldn't get out of my mind and my heart that most of you are going to have been thinking through this anyway and that I wanted to make it abundantly clear what my heart is and where God, I believe God is leading us. All of us would have seen the announcement that was made by the Queensland government for December in the status of vax and unvax. And I, I don't want to enter into that conversation because I, to me, what's more important is the gospel and the moving forward of the gospel. But I want to make something very clear that there is a spirit moving in this nation and I think in the nations and the spirit is a spirit of division. And it's very, very clear to me that the, the plan of the enemy is to devise the people of God. Sorry, to divide the people of God, to move between two, separ the, the separation of people. And yes, the Bible does say that, that there will be um, mother against father, brother against brother. And that is true. And there is a reality to that. But that's not intended or meant in the body of Christ. Does that make sense? That will take place. There will be a division. It's clear in Scripture. Jesus prophesies it himself. There will be a division. But that division is in the world, is not in the house of God, is not meant for the brothers and sisters of Christ. And look, we can spend all day. I enjoy politics. I enjoy watching it. I enjoy reading it. I will, I will gab about politics for as long as you'd like. I find it very fascinating. But when it comes to the people of God, there is only one place that we find ourselves, and that is in Christ. And as I was preparing for this, God led me to Matthew eleven twenty eight, where Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I can't help but, but imagine 
Churches having to put signs on the door to decide who can and cannot come and bring themselves before the king. And it breaks my heart because God designed us to worship and glorify him regardless of creed, of nation, of ideology, of politics, of what's in your body or outside of your body. And I want to make it abundantly clear this morning that I do not care if you are black, white, yellow, brown, male, female, an addict, rich, poor, gay, straight, lost, found, hurt or whole, vaxxed or unvaxxed, I do not care. I will keep those doors as wide open. If your heart is to worship God, we will facilitate a place for that. If your heart is to honestly come and to bring yourself before the King, I will do everything in my power to facilitate a place for that. It may not be in this building. It may not look like the people that are around you now. It may look like different people in different places. I don't know what the future holds and I don't know what is coming, but I know who holds the future. And I know that he said this, come to me all who are tired, all who are laden, and I'll give you rest. And as I was talking with Jess this morning, I said to her, babe, you know what this could mean? You know where this could position us? It could mean that we have to give away everything. We have to give away all of this. But I can't help but see that that is the gospel. I can't help but see Paul saying, I refuse to put a label on who I will preach the gospel to. If they want to hear it, I will go and I will preach it. I, I cannot see scripturally Jesus saying, what type of people are there before I come and minister? Who's actually in the room? I cannot see that happening. I see Jesus saying, do they know the gospel? No, then I will go. I can see Paul writing to the Romans going, I know what I'm walking into. They're going to beat me. They're going to imprison me. They're going to take away my freedoms. But the gospel must be preached. That is what we stand for. And that is what Jess and I will continue to hold the line to. We will need to be flexible. We will need to move and change and mold as the times and seasons ask us to mold. But I will not add or take away from the scriptures. The gospel is clear as Jesus presents it. And just during worship, as I was, as I was just praying and worshiping, God led me to 1 Corinthians 13. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have all the faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, then I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but do not love, I gain nothing. In this time, we are going to see things differently. We are going to understand things differently. We're going to have seen different news articles, different YouTube video, videos, different thises and different thats. But if you come with that, without love, you are coming in the opposition of the gospel. Does that make sense? If we come without love in our heart to see our brother or our sister know Christ more, then we come in opposition of what the gospel said. We come in the very, against the very work that Paul and the apostles and Jesus came to lay. My heart is not to come against him, it's to, to come as a brother to love him. 
even if he has no information and I have it all and I'm the smartest guy in the room, if I come without love, I come in the opposition of the gospel. I want you to, as I, as I preach this morning, it's all going to tie together, but I want you just to remember that. Whether you are the smartest guy in the room or not, the smartest gal in the room or not, if you come without love, you come in opposition of the gospel. We had to come as a healing balm to the nation, as a healing balm to those around us, as strength to our brothers and sisters, to sharpen each other, to encourage each other, not to pull each other apart. Don't allow the enemy to win by dividing with your brothers and sisters. You know what that may mean? You may have to humble yourself. You may have to lay down your thoughts and ideologies. You may have to lay down what you think to be true. And I can't believe that guy doesn't see it my way. You may have to make that phone call and sit across from the table and say, I love you. And I refuse to let this break our relationship. Because if we come without love, we come in opposition to the gospel. The reason I I wanted to call this sermon Salty Light Bulbs is Jess and I were watching The Chosen during the week. We watched the, the last episode of whatever season they're up to. And there's this phenomenal scene, which they've obviously taken some creative writes in with Jesus talking with Matthew and Jesus is is dictating his sermon on the mound to Matthew and it, it, it got me thinking about particular words that we use and there's a saying now around us young people oh, I thought I was going to get more laughs didn't that's all right there's a saying around young people that uh, is more of like a, a payout or a put down when someone is is being a whingy or whiny about something and we say to them geez you're being really salty at the moment you know well, what happened oh, he lost the game so he's really salty about it and it, it got me laughing as as Matthew and Jesus are talking they're talking about his sermon and, and Jesus proposes to Matthew he says Matthew is there anything in the sermon that you think is too harsh or too too troubling and of all the things in the sermon of the mount the salty part of it would not be the part that I would find to be too harsh you know there's many things in there that is difficult to hear but Matthew says, well, the salty, the word salty that you've used there. And Jesus looks to, to Matthew in the show and he says, salty, is, is that the part that you, that you think is, is challenging? And he says, yeah, because it brings a connotation about what salt can be. And Jesus says to him, you mean the, the Punic Wars? And I had to go and Google what the Punic Wars were, but there's an uh, understanding in, in ancient history about uh, before before Jesus or before Christ, that the the Rome was at war with with another nation, and they had many backwards and forwards, many fights, and one of the things that happened, uh, Car- Carthage was the other nation that they were at war with, and one of the things that happened was when Rome won, they went in and they filled the city with salt, and the reason was was that they knew that if they salted the land, nothing would grow, and they would have to come to Rome and ask them for food and for trade, right? So he kind of looks at Matthew and he says, the connotation of the word salt that you're thinking of is not what I mean. And it started to get me thinking that there's so many things in the scriptures that Jesus says that we want to interpret through our worldly lens. But Jesus said, I don't come from this world. I'm not looking for this kingdom. I come from another kingdom. 
So what he's actually saying is all the things that you think, your, your memory that jumps back to certain understandings, I want to rewire that whole thing because my kingdom, the one in which I come from, from is the one that laid down what it should really look like. So we're, we're trying to understand what, what words mean and what, thing, what, what takes place. We, we want to go to the scripture and find out what in the world God really meant by that particular thing. So sometimes people say, well, don't use the word, don't use the word um, revival because we've lost the meaning of it. No, what did Jesus mean by revival? And how can we redeem what he was actually saying there? And this, this got me thinking in a big way about what Jesus means. And it's in Matthew 5, 13 to 16 to start with. And then we'll, well, yeah, Matthew 5, 13 to 16, but we'll just start with 13. Where Jesus says, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, he says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And this started to stir in me, Lord, what do you really mean? How do I actually go into the world and be salt? What, what does that even look like? And sometimes when Jesus speaks, he speaks in these parables, he uses these metaphors to get us to think in a broader way by what he's saying, to think deeper and allow the layers to take place, to really build on what it is that he's saying. But there's three things, there's three things, and he highlights this in the, in, in the, in the episode, which I think is great, that he means by salt. Salt preserves meat from corruption and it slows its decay. Salt enhances the flavor of things and salt can be used with honey as a healing agent. The first one that, that interests me is that salt preserves meat from corruption and it slows its decay. In the olden days, they used to, if they were going on long journeys, they would take a slab of meat and so that it could last a long journey, they would salt it and wrap it. And it made the meat a little bit saltier when they ate it, but it allowed them to go on long journeys and have food for the whole trip. It actually it preserved the meat in such a way that it could continue to be delicious even months after they had eaten it. They didn't have cool little eskies, Yeti eskies with ice in them that they could carry. They had to think outside the box to use the natural things around them to actually preserve so that they could go on these longer journeys. And as I started to think about that, what does that mean for us and why is that helpful to us? Because as Christians, as followers of Christ, as believers in the kingdom, the first part of us to be salty is to preserve things from corruption. It is actually our task as image bearers of Christ, carrying the image of Christ, to go into a situation within our heart, I'm going to come in and I'm going to preserve this place from corruption. And what saddens me when I see Time, to time from time, Christians operating in businesses and, and, and other areas, even within, within the church, is that there's Christians not operating from a place that removes corruption. In fact, in a lot of cases, they actually aid the corruption. I remember I worked for a Christian business and it, in the end I resigned because I couldn't fathom the fact that we were saying we were Christians, but we would go into to deals and I would look around the room going, that's not true. 
that's not what's about to happen. We're, we're asking this person to buy something that is not going to fix their business. It's not going to help them. And I couldn't reconcile in my heart that we were actually doing something good. And what I realize now is that we were adding to the corruption. We weren't being salt and, and prolonging the corruption. Does that make sense? In every situation we go, these areas apply that we are to carry a standard, not to be good boys and girls that we get a pat on the back, but because the church in this, in this time is supposed to look like something. We should be able to be in our workplaces and have the people know we're followers of Christ, not because we tell them, but because our life looks different. Man, you could have made 10 grand extra if you told that guy that the price of that product was more. Yeah, I know, but that would add to the corruption. But you just lost 10 grand, I know. But it's the right thing to do. Why? Because I'm playing a part of being salt in that place and I actually want to preserve the place, not add to its corruption, not to wait for it to fall apart. The next one is that salt enhances the flavor of things. I love to cook. I, I find it therapeutic and a, a challenge and difficult <laughs> and in cooking salt is an absolute necessity it can it can make a meal and it can wreck a meal but when you cook if you if you don't use salt there's this tendency for the for the meat to be flavorless to to not be up to scratch as it were but you know the interesting thing about cooking with with salt is that never ever do you eat a meal and go Wow, that salt was amazing. I actually prefer the salt than the steak. What salt did you use there? That was fantastic. You notice that the salt never ever gets the crudos. The salt never ever gets the, the hero of the dish. Yet without it, it can wreck the entire dish. So how was it? Oh, it was all right. It just needed, it needed salt. In who we are as Christians, we need to start to be the flavor of, in the place that makes a dish, but be okay when the, the dish gets the, the reward, when the dish gets the well done, when we don't get a, geez, the salt was nice. Geez, I really, what that Christian did was really nice. They may never ever know what you did, but they'll know that something took place. I love Deb's story about when, when she gave that guy money and she didn't want the accolade and he didn't know then who to give the accolade to. And she got to say, don't give it to me, give it to Jesus. Well, who's that? So she took a simple act and turned the meal into fantastic opportunity to share the gospel. She drove away thinking that guy knew the gospel, not, oh, look how good I was. Look how tasty the salt was. Pink Himalayan. We need to start to change the flavor of what's out there in a positive way. We need to start to reflect the necessity of Christ in people's lives by how we lead our lives. The last one is that salt can be used as a healing agent. They used to mix salt with honey because the salt has nutrients and the salt has, um, there's a fancy word, minerals. That's fancy. That's kind of fancy. Minerals. If you say it slow enough, it's fancy. Because there's minerals in the salt, right? And the salt adds to our body. That's why when you're, when you're sick or your muscles hurt, they say to mix 
salt and hot water and try and drink or to swim in the ocean because the salt has a healing agent in it. And as I was going through this, I was like, man, how many times is the body of Christ not acting as a healing agent, but instead acting toward the corruption? We're actually called to shift a situation back to the positive, away from the negative. That we're supposed to be mixed with the sweetness of Christ and, and operate into a people to change the atmosphere, to change the pain and the suffering. We're to be applied to cuts and burns. We're be, to be added as a healing agent. Man, I just need a Christian in here. My world is falling apart. Can you go and grab Josh for me? I don't know why he'll help, but there's something about the guy. I just want him next to me in this situation. Because in that, he's being the salt that's mixing into the wound to see it healed. When people start to think through what a Christian is, the first thing that, that we hear most of the time is corruption or destruction or devastation. And we have to change that narrative. We have to actually say, no, that's not who we're called to be. I refuse to be like that. I'm called to be salt in my city. And that means that I'm called to enhance the flavor, to be a healing balm, to preserve the area from corruption. So this is what I want to challenge you to do. In the next however long you find this to be helpful. When you go into a situation, a business call, a discussion about vaccinations, a discussion about which basketball team is the best, Orlando Magic, we'll talk about that later, to discuss about whatever else it is, a discussion with your wife, with your husband, leading your children, your kids, I want you to ask three questions. Now granted, sometimes these questions are going to come up post-argument when you're in the shower cooling down and you're thinking to yourself, I was right there. You might go through these three questions. But if you are wise enough and you can bring yourself, you can ask yourself these questions pre-meeting, pre-discussion, pre-argument about who didn't put the bin out. And the questions are this, did I preserve the situation from corruption? Did I enhance the situation? And did I help heal the situation. As followers of Christ, to be salt in our city, to be salt in our spheres of influence, to be salt in our business places, in our sporting teams, wherever it is you want to apply this, you must operate from a place of preserving from corruption, enhancing the situation, and helping to heal the situation. And this can be a challenge because there's times where we go in and go, was I an, an active component in actually helping something heal or was I the destructor that brought across the pain? And it's okay to be in that place because we can repent and change the way in which we approach the situation. But if we can learn as followers of Christ, as the body of Christ, as the church, to operate in this manner, constantly changing the atmosphere in which we come in contact with, constantly operating from a place of healing, acting from a place of enhancement and, and preservation, then we actually begin to change a city and change an atmosphere. I've said it so many times, but our job is not just to get our ticket and to go to heaven. Our job is to actively bring the kingdom everywhere that we go to enhance the kingdom, to, to bring the kingdom into the place in which God is placing us. Wars were fought over salt mines. One of the most uh, sought-after commodity 
in the time when Jesus was saying this was to my insult because it was so important. And I started thinking, do people value having us Christians in the conversation? Do they value us being involved in their situation? Or is it easy if we're not there? Would they rather get you in to the conversation or would they rather leave you out? Because that to me shows whether I'm being salt in the place. When the meat's going off, do people reach for you, for me? When the meal tastes a little bland and it's not going to impress the in-laws, does the chef reach for you? Do they reach for me? When someone is hurting and in pain, do they reach for you to ease the pain? Do they reach for me to ease the pain? That's what it means to be salt in our city. That's what it means to be salt in the places God's put us. We are active proponents of change toward the positive, not toward the negative. So before you enter your next argument, before you make your next Facebook post, before you talk to your family about whatever it is you really just need to talk to them about, before you meet with that person for the wrong that they've wronged you, can you ask these questions? Am I going to be a proponent of positive change or am I going to add to the corruption that's already at play? Am I going to allow the enemy's division to take more root here or am I going to come in the opposite spirit and break what's taking place? Does that make sense? He continues in Matthew 5, 14 to 16 by saying this. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gets, gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Darkness can only be matched by light. I've said this before, but the room can't get any more darker than pitch black but it can get brighter. We can't go any further into darkness, of which has been prophesied that we will go into, but without light is where there's trouble. But we operate as proponents of the light in the darkness. But I can't shine very brightly. Just shine wherever you can shine, as much as you have the ability and energy to shine. And call in others to come into that place. But if you... If you I remember I heard this awesome sermon about this guy um, while I was at school and he became known, it was in the Catholic Church and he became known as the uh, fire-breathing priest because he blackened out all the windows and we walked in as kids and you're like, oh, it's pretty weird. It was real dark. We walked in and there was a, a torch that he had lit inside the, the massive church. There was a, a torch that he had lit, like, a, um, like one of those... Tiki torches, I guess you call it. And it was right in the center, there was this massive real flame. And he preached a sermon on being light to the world and how important, and he put the flame out. And as he put it out, the room went dark. And then he lit a, a match, a tiny match, and it lit up the whole front area that he was in. And it was so cool because as we couldn't see him, he had prepared um, whatever you fire breathe with, the liquid. 
and he said, this is what it looks like when the church is ignited. And he fire-breathed in the church. I don't know, I don't think he got any clearance from anybody because someone could have died. But he, he breathed this fire and it filled the room with light. And I, I remember that because it's the, it's the very picture that the Holy Spirit has used, that he is a, a flame of fire. Are the eyes of Christ. He has eyes like fire. Why? Because it pushes back the darkness. It expels darkness in the most violent yet peaceful way. That's what we are called to be, proponents of light. So where are the light bulbs? We are the light bulbs. We play the part of light in every sphere of influence in which we are a part of. Our workspaces, our friends, our sporting fields, our families, we are lights that shine in those places. But I I worry that what happens is when people come into those places, they turn the light down. Because when I'm in there, everyone knows I'm the light. In here, lots of lights. Individuals don't shine quite as bright because there's so much light in here. But we get afraid when we go into darkness and we turn the light up. Why? Because I'm the only one shining. I'm the only one, everyone's looking at me like I'm the weird guy because I'm the only one that's turned on as light in here. But then on a Sunday morning, we come back in, whew, I can turn my light back on because no one's going to know I've got it on because everyone else is shining. But the importance is not for us to shine here, although that is helpful and is key. The importance is for us to stay a light out there. And it's hard because you're the one weird guy who's a light when everyone else is darkness. You're the one person who thinks differently, who says things differently, who refuses to, to treat their partner in a certain way or refuses to, to speak in certain ways. And, and all of a sudden, what's wrong with that guy? Why won't he do those things? Because I'm different in the way that I've, been, I've come into who God's made me. Does that make sense? It is so important for us to be light and salt out there. So what does it mean? To be out there and to be salty light bulbs. It means that in, in every opportunity that we can, we preserve situations from corruption. We enhance the situation. We make it taste better. We make a terrible thing a little bit better. And we help heal the pain and the suffering that's around us. And the last thing is, is that we create light that pushes back the powers of darkness. There are people that when I'm, when I'm struggling, I want around me. And there's some that I don't. Why? Because I can feel their light enhancing my life. I can feel the saltiness, the encouragement, the, this, the healing of the wound. And for some, it's guys I haven't spoken to in a while, and I'm like, man, you just need to call that guy. Why? Because I'm hurting and I need, some, I need some salt in the wound. Yeah, but you haven't spoken to him for years. Yeah, but I know what he carries. I know who he is. I know the beauty of being there because the salt rubs off, because the light makes my light a little bit brighter. And then I start to think, I want to be that for people. I want to be the guy who, as, as difficult as it is when you're hurting, that you can call. Why? Because you see the value of the salt in my life. You see the value of the light that shines. You see the value of, of wanting to be who God's asked them to be. Everything we're walking towards is to love God, love our neighbor, advance the kingdom, and to push back the powers of darkness to make disciples. We do that by being salt and light by healing and enhancing and leading away from corruption and by shining brightly in those places. Does that make sense? I want to end with this. 
because again it was a um a line that i heard the actor who's playing jesus in this show say and it sparked me into hours of deep thought but he's speaking to matthew and he says to matthew matthew there's a difference between revolution and revolt and that's all he says there's difference between revolution and revolt and in the times that we're currently sitting in, the things that we're seeing, the, the outrage, the, the anger, the pain, the frustration, the hurt, the, the, the divide, the division, the one side versus the other, this thought started rolling in my head, this difference between revolution and a revolt. A revolt is this, to attempt to overthrow the authority of the state, to rebel, to oppose or refuse, to accept something, Sorry, to oppose or refuse to accept something, to feel disgusted or repugnant. That's a revolt. But a revolution is a sudden, radical or complete change, a fundamental change in a political organization, activity or movement designed to affect fundamental changes in a socioeconomic situation. A fundamental change in paradigm, a, ch a changeover in use of preference. Why are they different? Because we believe as followers of Christ that we are carrying a spirit that opposes the one that's at this world. Josh said it this morning that in that verse in Ephesians where it talks about principalities and powers, that's an opposing spirit to the Holy Spirit that we have inside of us. I've heard it said, and I've said this before as well, that, that God's, God's kingdom is upside down. right? But that's not true. God's kingdom is not upside down. God designed in absolute beauty and perfection so his kingdom could not be upside down. So what does that mean? It means the paradigm by which we live is upside down. The kingdom is the right way up, but it is complete contrast to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of the world and the powers and principalities of this age are in complete contrast to that of the kingdom of God. So what do we have to do? We have to decide in which way we come into every situation. Am I going to come in the, the, the way in the position of the world or am I going to come in the right way in which Jesus created, which is the way of the kingdom? A revolution is to change a people to see what's really happening. Not a revolt. I don't care who sits in power in the, the fleshly government because I know who sits in power of the spiritual government. For me, what is more important is the gospel. When Jesus rises after his death and he rises and he, he comes to the place where he's about to ascend in Acts 1, it's amazing what the, what the disciples are asking him. They say, so, oh, so, so when they come together, they ask Jesus, they say, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They see him rise. They go, we were right. We were right. Jesus is back. We told you we were right. We told you he was the Messiah. We told you he was the one who was going to overthrow. And the first question they ask him is, Lord, let's go. We're going to take Rome back now. And Israel is going to be established. They thought that when Jesus rose, he was going to ready an army and go to war with Rome. Jesus responds this. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. You have to wonder, one of the disciples went, what? Right there, we don't get to see it, but there's this moment. Thomas is like, Lord, what do you mean? You just rose. Now we have to go back and face persecution? What are you, what are you talking about? Get the, get the boys. Get the swords. Let's go. We're going to go and take it back. We'll start here and we'll just go town upon town and we'll just, we'll just sack and savage all our way up. We'll just take it back. Jesus just said, you don't know. You'll get the Holy Spirit. He'll help you. And leaves. So when it comes to today, when it comes to the world we live in, we start thinking, Lord, when in the world are you going to give us a God-fearing Christian man to lead this nation where it's led in righteousness and power and authority? When are we going to take this back where the Christians sit at the top of every single government and every single sphere of influence and we rule and reign as the righteous ones? And Jesus just says, it's not for you to know the time. Your job is simple. What's my job, Lord? Your job is simple. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, be my witness in the Gold Coast, in Queensland, in Australia, and to the ends of the earth. Our job is not to revolt against anybody. Our job is to be witnesses, to forward the kingdom, to expand the kingdom, to make disciples, to love God, to love others, to operate in everything that we do from a position of love, to be salt and light, to heal, to change the flavor, to add, not take away from. When God, when we start saying, right, how Christians, how are we going to win? How are we going to survive? How are we going to take back what's been taken from us? Really simple. What is it? Teaching the gospel. Preach the gospel. Make disciples. Expand the kingdom. Love them. Love who? The ones that are persecuting us. The ones who are locking us out, who are, who are beating us. Paul, who's kicked me within an inch of my life. Love them. Yeah, love them. Why? Because that's my gospel. Let them come in. Let them be a part of what you're doing. Let them worship me. Let them see the reality of my good news. That's what you to do. So this morning when I opened with a stance of I will not close the door, it's because my job is simple. Be a witness to all who will listen. Be a witness to all who will listen. Be salt. Be a healing balm. If there's an argument between your two brothers, be the one that is, brings peace in the situation. Operate in love. They can have their stance. You can talk through facts until you're blue in the face. But don't walk away from them because when the chips are down, it's us together who partner. It's our brotherhood, our sisterhood, our, our standing as one in Christ that allow us to actually push back the powers of darkness, to be light and be salt in all the earth. For the Gold Coast, for Queensland, for Australia, and to the outermost parts of the earth, God is entrusting us as his witnesses not to fight back Rome, not to push back the things of the world. Give to Caesar what Caesar's. But give to God what God's. They're not, that verse is not talking about money. That's talking about here, our heart, 
On the coin was a picture of Caesar. And he's saying to them, what's on the coin? Well, picture of Caesar. Well, if it's got Caesar's picture on it, give it to Caesar. What's on us? Image bearers made in the image and likeness of God. So whose picture is on us? His. So who do we give that to? To him. So as we begin to operate as salt and light, we're reminded again and again and again and again. Our job is to be witnesses of the good news of Jesus Christ to all who are in the house, to all who are burdened, to all who are weary. Does that make sense? Why don't we pray? And then I'm going to hand back to Josh to just do the two announcements. But I want you to just think through that. And wives and husbands particularly, don't in the middle of a fight say, hey, have you, are you being salt here? I know what's going to happen there. It's for you to address yourself, not to address the person across from you. Ask, are you being salt? Are you healing? Are you preserving? Are you enhancing? So Father, this morning we come. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the word in which you've given us. Lord, that we can see these parables and understand even today, so many years on, what it is you mean. God, soften our heart this morning to see your words, to see the things that, that you want us to pick up from this. Lord, help us to be salt and light in the earth. Help us to be enhancements of the things around us. Help us to be healing balm. Help us to be flavor givers, not flavor takers. Lord, help us to be salty light bulbs. Help us to advance your kingdom, to see your kingdom come, to see your will being done. Lord, let us lay down our will to see yours manifest. This morning, Lord, anything that I've said that's not of you, may it fall away. But God, may the things you want to sow in us Take root deep in our heart. We love you, Jesus. We honor you and we glorify your name. Amen.